partnership with 2SER 107.3, the Walkley Talks podcast presents the latest episode of Fourth Estate. Fourth Estate is a weekly program about the media featuring some of Australia's leading journalists, broadcast live each Monday at 6.30pm on 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the media and journalism panel on 2SER and the Community Radio Network. I'm Kyla Lusick, and joining us today, economics correspondent for the Australian Financial Review, Jacob Grieber. Hello to you. Hi, how are you going? Well, thank you. The Guardian Australia's Paul Farrell. Hello. Uh, AFP Australia's correspondent, Amy Coops, and the foreign correspondent for the Swiss National Public Broadcaster, Urs Voltelin. Hopefully I got that right. Hello. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Good. Good to hear. Anyway, this weekend we'll see the Saturday paper out in newsagents for the first time, the uh, the first launch of a print title in some years. Uh, Are you a lighthouse consumer? Have you subscribed? More on that later in the program. But first to the government's handling of unrest at the Manus Island detention facility. So the centre in Papua New Guinea saw several days of rioting earlier last week resulting in the death of one asylum seeker with many more injured. Immigration Minister Scott Morrison first laid the blame on detainees breaking out, but it later emerged that, in fact, asylum seekers were hurt inside the perimeter of the facility. Uh, Paul Farrell, you've been covering this for The Guardian, and you've broken a number of stories this week about the problems at Manus Island. Where are we now? Can you give us just a very quick rundown of, of what unfolded? Yeah, so for the past several weeks, there's been escalating protests at the the Manus facility. Uh, many of the detainees there have been frustrated by their um, the lack of processing that's occurring, and it escalated when a PNG immigration official told them that if they did not succeed uh, in their resettlement claims, that they would be given no assistance in being resettled in third countries. Uh, since then, last weekend, there was a significant escalation. Uh, some of the protests became more aggressive and more violent, And what happened next is the subject of considerable debate, Um, but it appears uh, that there may have been some individuals that broke into the facility um, and began uh, began attacking some of the asylum seekers, uh, which led to a massive escalation of the situation, uh, which saw the death of one asylum seeker, Reza Barati, uh, and the injuries sustained by what the initial report was put at 77 people. Uh, So it was a significant... Um, situation that, that happened and probably one of the most serious events in immigration detention uh, in, in recent years. Uh, but what later emerged uh, is that, in fact, most of the events had transpired inside the detention facility perimeter uh, and Scott Morrison issued a press release late on Saturday night when all the journalists were about to head to the pub um, at 9pm and decided to uh, announce that, in fact, he could no longer stand by his earlier comments that people had escaped the facility and broken out. Um, In the past day, we've also learned that G4S had no idea that that the minister was planning on issuing that statement. They had no idea that that clarification was issued. Um, And in fact, one of them left a voicemail message on my phone uh, from their media spokesperson asking uh, him to send the media statement that the minister had sent out. Um, So communication between uh, the different parties involved seems to be questionable. Um, And I think there are a lot of questions that need to be answered in coming weeks. And there's been an independent review that's been commissioned, um, and we'll see what that brings. Uh, Scott Morrison was pretty emphatic at his, in his original comments that they had out, happened outside the perimeter of the facility, and it seems to, there seems to be obviously a, a bit of a breakdown of communications with G4S. Amy, is this just um, inexperience? Is the first time that he's, you know, a government minister has taken on a pretty, pretty um, you know, big department, one of the controversial ones? Is this? Can you can we write this down to inexperience? Look, it may be inexperience, but I mean, I think there's a broader question here, which is that 
the way he's managed information flow about this whole portfolio from the beginning. Um, I think, you know, it's been quite... I would say secretive, but you know, um, other people might disagree with that, and so that's a bit strong language. But I think certainly, you know, I hate to agree with Richo, but <laughs> Richo said this morning, you can't carry on like that and then turn around and expect sympathy from the press and the public for making a mistake, if indeed it was a mistake. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this this was one of the issues that the government seemed quite untouchable on for a little while. Uh, only a few weeks ago, they, it seems they could have done anything with immigration and, and people would have just gone along with it. Um, is this doing the damage, uh, the government any considerable damage now? Jacob, what are your thoughts? Oh, I, you know, it's, it's one of these issues. It's it's really hard to know up front what uh, what kind of an impact it has out there. Uh, it, you know, there's no doubt that people people who perhaps tend to read papers that are covering this story are outraged and disgusted, and particularly in the way that that information flow has has occurred. But I mean, the reason we're in this situation is because Australians told politicians rightly or wrongly that they wanted this kind of a response you know that was the that was the purpose of sending people to manus island and i think what gets forgotten is this was labor's policy this was the policy that kevin rudd when he got back in the second time was one of the first things he did Mm. so labor's in that awkward position of of not really being able to criticize this because this is the consequence of the policy that they supported so yeah as to whether it hurts the government you know we'll, we'll see that in the polls well, you seem to touch on something. I, I believe it was Julia Baird who wrote this in the Herald, kind of saying uh, that you know you can't just blame them, and you, you need to blame people who, who voted for this. Um, but is there any is there any blame perhaps put on the media uh, for not being you know not scrutinising these policies further? You know, during the time of the election, for instance, saying that these policies might cause considerable harm to people. You're asking me that one. That's right, yes. Yeah, look, I, I I, don't know that that's a fair charge. I mean, cast your mind back to the election. This this thing dominated the election campaign in the, you know, the three years beforehand. It's It's been an issue non-stop, and you had, you had some incredibly emotional days in Parliament where both sides um, just struggled to deal with this issue and, the, you know, the moral challenge of it. Mm. Um and I don't think anyone was under the view that you couldn't, you know, that you were doing these things in a way that wouldn't have a negative effect. That was sort of the point of them in the end, wasn't it? Mm. It was to, quote-unquote, stop the boats. Paul? Look, I mean, I think we certainly can lay some blame at, um, you know, at, at the hands of some media organisations and um, and everyone, really, because the problem is that while this issue has debated, has um, been a huge um, part of Australian politics for a long time, it rarely penetrates beyond uh, this very um, grandiose political um, language that's used. I mean, stop the boats, do we not stop the boats? Um, and the actual policies get left behind and forgotten. I mean, over the last few months, there's been very few journalists who have really been asking consistently what is happening to the people on Papua New Guinea and on uh, and on Nauru. I mean, if they're if they're there um, and there's plans to resettle them, then why haven't those plans happened? Um, Australia can't just outsource those kind of responsibilities totally. Um, and I think that there is a big problem where this narrative it becomes this very um, inflammatory political dialogue, but we don't really get down to the policy issues. Mm. 
Uh, we haven't we haven't um, heard from you yet. Can you tell us? Uh, you, I mean, you've obviously lived in Australia for a very long time, but you file for a news organisation overseas. What what does this look like? Do you report on these issues? I, I mean, are there audiences overseas that are interested in in, in how this is playing out in Australia? Absolutely. <clears throat> in um, as you might know, Europe has a real refugee uh, issue. Uh, I think I read once that uh, as many as um, uh, 10, I think it's about 10,000 people on, on one weekend that land in, mm. in, um, in Italy. So, uh, and they then basically want to get in, mm. uh, those who survive. Now, this is definitely an issue and uh, Europe is looking at uh, how Australia is dealing with these issues. And they're also wondering, of course, because we are talking about really small numbers here and about the other thing, uh, about the cruelty, the cruelty of the whole system, which is something I think the uh, Australian media don't really pick up. Some do, and I don't want to say uh, that individual journalists don't do it, particularly obviously also the the Guardian uh, do a really good job, but many, many people don't really ask the, the fundamental question, is this decent? Mm. Is this what we as Australians want? But isn't ostensibly the whole policy meant to not, perhaps not be cruel, but it is meant to discourage people? I mean, there's no way that would possibly happen if they weren't in some way you know, going about this in how they have. Is there any credit given to the government for actually Stopping the boats. Yeah, well, ha- have they stopped? Have they stopped, or have they just turned been turned around? Yeah, how Indonesia? much do we know? This is the question. Yeah. I think yeah. you know, give them credit when there's you know there's concrete evidence of what's happening. But mm. right now, everyone's in the dark about it. I would say I mean, that's my opinion, but yeah, that's what I would say. Jacob, do you think the government, or at least the minister, has has the responsibility just to give us more information? Oh yeah, I mean, I think that was a that was a, a, a totally. You know, he was setting himself up for failure there when he initially got in and said he'd only be doing these things, you know, these sort of operational briefings once a week or as and when it suited him. I mean, the, uh, that was never going to be tenable. That was mm. that was always going to cause problems for him. And it's, you know, he's backed right away from that um, for, because you just can't manage information like that. But I think the, the other consequence of starting off like that is that you know, Boris and and Amy, you just expressed it. There's a there's a lack of trust in what the government's saying, mm. uh, and the information that's coming out, and so that's the consequence of that. And just before we move on, is that do you, would you put that down to a lack of experience? I assume most ministers would love to not say anything at all about their portfolios unless it was something nice, and but they haven't done that. I don't think I don't think Scott Morrison is a man who lacks experience. <laughs> you know, he's 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 been one of the toughest bruisers in the government mm. for many years. He took he took that fight up against you know first uh, Bowen and then and then the the subsequent minister and um, he, you know he gave them no slack whatsoever during those years. So I don't think he'd be expecting any on the way back um, in the other direction. The other thing about it is that. It's one of the toughest portfolios in government and always has been, and very few ministers go on to anything greater after it. Mm. Most of them get burnt, and, and that's the end of their career. So, yeah, he's, 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 in that, he's in that difficult portfolio, but I don't think anyone would say, oh, well, that's a reason to go easy on him. He's only a young you know, yeah. minister. Well, it was um, also quite interesting to see the Guardian break many of many of these stories, um, especially when I, I assume it has less resources than some of the larger media organisations. I wanted to ask you, Paul, is this an area where your editors maybe feel that they've got a strength, and you know this is something that they want to pursue? Because there are a lot of stories about 
this. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be covered, but you know, clearly a lot of resources are going into this. Is this an area that the editors have have kind of identified as a as going to drag in readers? Well, I think it's more that um, readers clearly do want to know more about the policy issues that are that are going on here, and do want to see a little bit more analysis, a little bit more investigation, um, and a little bit more digging into what's going on at these facilities. Um, and unfortunately, now it, it has become a a huge round. I mean, you know, it's if you look at any of the other news organisations reporting it now, I mean, you'll find that national security correspondents are reporting on some of these issues because partly because of the way this is kind of folded into defence and customs and things like that. So it's a huge area and there's so much going on on the mainland, in Nauru, on Manus Island. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, as, as we... I mean, last week we broke a huge story that showed that the, there were 10,000 names from people in detention that have been accidentally released on the Immigration Department's mm. website. I mean, I think there are a lot of questions that the department has to answer and that the minister really needs to answer and that these service providers need to answer. So, uh, And that's what we think that our readers want. Well, we're going to have to go to a break, but I just wanted to find out from our, perhaps our two overseas correspondents, um, you know, how is this going down with, with an international audience? I mean, when you have to file a report, I assume you, you don't get a great deal of reams and reams of space and you need to you know, get it down to the core of, of what's happening. And what, what is it that you put down? I think, you know, context is is really important. And I think in some ways that means you, you have to put a bit of a value judgment on it. I mean, you know, like we very clearly sort of describe these policies as, I wouldn't say cruel, we don't say cruel, but we say harsh, we say hardline, we say punitive, you know. This is how it's perceived outside of Australia. And I mean, you can't... You can't do things that attract the criticism from the UNHCR and the UN uh, and not expect an international audience to to see it that way. And perhaps you, you would agree. Yeah, I, I would, couldn't agree more with you, Amy. That's absolutely true. We also use these terms. Uh, clearly, this is, this is factual journalism. Um, I, I think uh, what it does and what Tampa already has done it hurts the image of Australia as the nice, cuddly country. You know, the people where, where everyone is nice, crocodile, dandy, without knife, and, uh, <laughs> and koalas. And that, that's what's actually suffering. People will still come, but they will have a different uh, impression. Well, I, I, I don't want to be I don't want to be a smart aleck here, but that's nice coming from a bloke from Switzerland where they've <laughs> had a vote on this issue. <laughs> I think all countries are struggling with this stuff, I guess. Mm. Mm. Well, look, we're going to have to move on, unfortunately. Well, we don't incarcerate people, you know, mm. and, and kids. But anyway, that's a, maybe something for other yeah, for another <laughs> time. Perhaps for, for after the program. This is Fourth Estate with our guest Jacob Greber, uh, rather Paul Far- uh, Farrell, Amy Coops. I'll learn to read one day, and Uz <laughs> Voltalin, and I am Kyla Lusikian. Uh, last Saturday, Charlotte Dawson was found dead in a home. She'd been the target of an intense bullying campaign on Twitter. A former model was uh, hospitalised in 2012 as well, following a suicide attempt after a torrent of online abuse. Now, Kate Carnell from Beyond Blue says Twitter isn't doing enough about trolls. She wants the government to step in. But realistically, what can be done and what should be done? Let's perhaps go around the table, starting with you, Amy. Can the government do anything and should it? I certainly don't think there's much they can do. You know, uh, online spaces are very hard to regulate. You know, where is an international jurisdiction, you know, where a government could intervene? Um, I think it has to come down to, yeah, some kind of... I have I find this problematic. I think you know if something were to happen, it would have to come from Twitter. But whether that should happen, 
I'm not I'm not quite sure about, you know. It's it's a freedom of expression thing and I mean it's isn't aren't these spaces didn't they um spring up and and aren't they organically supposed to be this way? I mean, look, as a woman, I I cop a lot of abuse on Twitter. Really nasty stuff, really really nasty stuff and I just block 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 away. But, you know, when I first started on Twitter, I found it frightening and I found it upsetting and I went off Twitter for a while because mm. of it. Um, but even having had that experience, I still don't know if anything can and, and, and should be done about it. But the idea of, you know, freedom of expression, etc. I mean, what's, what's the value of freedom of expression if it's, you know, some person telling you to go and kill yourself repeatedly? I mean, there's, there is no value in that, surely. Mm, I absolutely agree. However, <laughs> as a journalist, I feel uncomfortable about, about thinking about public spaces of expression being regulated, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. Paul? Yeah, look, I tend to agree with Amy. I mean, I think freedom of expression has got to encompass, you know, the right to offend, to shock and and to disturb. Um, And unless there's, you know, this really imminent threat of of lawless action, and that's kind of the approach that the United States takes with regulating speech um, and that kind of hate speech and things like that, um, then I I don't think it it should be regulated. Mm. Very similar views from here. Um, I I think it's just... uh, I think it's probably a similar thing like the, these king hits or as they are now called coward hits. It's it's a question of common decency. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have to teach your kids not to do these kind of things. And that's where it probably starts. But but uh, I don't know if the, the law can do anything or, or uh, I don't think it's a good idea. If, if they do anything. Yeah. But isn't that a complete abdication? I mean, here's, you know, for instance, someone who's suffered and other people that we've spoken to who've come on this program have said, you know, they they feel very badly about what happens to them on Twitter. I mean, should, should we just say, well, actually, you know, I feel uncomfortable as a journalist because my work is in, you know, interaction and, and information when there are people who... Are doing this, and and when it comes to something like King Hits, I mean, this is th- these people are completely anonymous, yeah. um, kind of just sitting at their computer, bashing away. Absolutely. No, I think it, it, that is that is true, uh, but I think you, to a certain extent, you have to. Um, how, how should I say it? <laughs> you, as a journalist, to a certain extent, you have to cop it. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. you are. Well, provocative, as we were just before, Uh, that happens. That happens, but also only to a certain extent. I don't think uh, you should actually have to take everything, and um, particularly. And I'm really shocked that you say because you're a woman, uh, this happens to you more. I'm I'm actually not a very keen Twitter at all, so I, I. I don't think I've ever copped any abuse, but uh, that that's really extremely sad. Mm -hmm. And Jacob, just coming to you. Yeah, look, I, 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 I'm also very saddened by that. In that sense, from Amy, that that she cops extra for it. I, I, um, I, I mean, I sort of try not to put too much of me on Twitter. It's a great thing for a journalist to be able to, you know, find stories and and push your stories around and and see what's happening. But I'm kind of also at the same time conscious of the fact that, I mean, every time every time a politician retweets a story and there might be my name on that retweet you suddenly see the reaction that a politician gets from the twitter mm. world and and it's feral 
those guys have some of the toughest skins I've ever seen. You know, uh, uh, people people just feel there's no barrier to what they can say on 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 Twitter. And uh, yeah, I, who knows what you do with it? You you wouldn't want to regulate it away or anything because it's such a powerful tool. But mm. I think everyone has to find their own level of comfort with the thing. Well, the Telly ran a campaign last year to stop the trolls. Um, they they asked readers, I think it was to dob in a troll or any trolls they found on Twitter, which is. Uh, they copped a little bit of flack, but um, Sarah Lamarckand was on the show last week. Uh, she's now, I think, the opinions editor at the telly. And she was saying that, well, I think she thought it changed the way that we talked about trolls. Do you think there's anything in that or did it really do nothing at all, Amy? Um, I mean, I think the fact that uh, that something like the telly is talking about this issue, and you know, they have a very particular audience and it may be that they reached people who wouldn't be reached by this debate in other sort of realms. But whether it achieved anything, I find that very very dubious. Mm. Well, maybe let's flip it around. What can can the media do anything to say, you know, this is enough? Can Paul, I mean, can can the Guardian maybe consider running some sort of (laughs) um, campaign against trolls? Oh, look, I'll I'll ask. But no, I I think the, um, I think one of the big problems here is that there are some real big, cultural and social issues that need to be addressed to kind of underlie some of these problems. Um, and one is, you know, that there are clearly a lot of people out there who have seem to think that violence against women or making threats against women is okay, um, that, you know, that kind of sexist behaviour is tolerable. Um, and I think that you, you can always strive to help people understand those issues through your reporting. Mm. Uh, do you agree? I mean, very much. I think the media has a role to play in informing and 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 working on changing of uh, an opinion. I I just uh, just when I came here, I I saw a woman uh, being abused by a bunch of drunk guys in, sitting in a pub, and um, I thought, well, it's there's not much difference actually. I mean, when when if you do it via Twitter, and this woman was so upset she actually started to cry. Mm. It was just, you know, sexual abuse, uh, verbal sexual abuse. and uh, So it's more of a cultural issue than, it, than I think so. It's, it's, you know, if you do it in the pub or if you do it via Twitter, I mean, there is a difference, but yeah. what is the difference? And just, I, we'll move on, but Jacob, uh, Twitter, is that just an enabler or is it, you know, something by itself? Is it a cultural issue or an issue just for Twitter? Oh, I don't think it's just for Twitter. I think I think you see similar things on Facebook, don't you? And some of those other sort of forums and 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 vectors. It, it's a cultural thing. Mm. I mean, I, people 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 feel that they can get away with saying things on Twitter that they. I mean, maybe they'd say it in a pub while they're half drunk, but but mm. they certainly probably wouldn't dream of saying it cold, sober, face to face. You know. Well, uh, if you're experiencing bullying on social media and need to talk to someone about it, you can contact Lifeline. Their number is 13 11 14. And this is Fourth Estate with our guest uh, Jacob Grieber on the phone, Paul Farrell, Amy Coops and Urs Voltlin, and uh, I'm Kyla Lusikian. Uh, the Saturday paper launches this weekend. After many months of planning, I feel like we've been talking about it for years. Uh, publisher Maurice Schwartz has managed to launch two other publications in the last decade, and both, as The Australian noted today, are still in operation. But has Schwartz gone too far this time? He says the Saturday paper is materialising before our eyes as a major force in Australian journalism. Uh, is it? Paul Farrell, um, do you steal Netflix and own moleskins? Have you taken out a subscription? <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually 
do both those things and have also <laughs> taken out a subscription. So it's weird that you, I feel like you pigeonholed me a bit. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I I did subscribe a few weeks ago. I really hope it gets delivered. You know, um, what was the charm though? I mean, what why did you subscribe to to this publication? I, I do like the idea of having a, a Saturday paper to read every week. I mean, that's definitely appealing. And um, there are other Saturday papers though. There's the AFR Weekend. There's the Weekend Oz. There's the Herald, the Age, etc. Why this one? I guess I do feel like the, the quality has lessened in, in a lot of those those broadsheets. Um, and, you know, if this is kind of like a new, more invigorated paper that's going to bring together, you know, some voices that I really do like to hear, then um, that's great. Whether it's going to be a major force in journalism remains to be seen, I think. Um, it's a bit early to call on that. Um, but, you know, all power to them. More media is better. Well, perhaps, I mean, perhaps I just shouldn't be asking, you know, have you subscribed on the radio just in case you haven't. But, uh, Jacob, are you, are you planning to, to give the um, Saturday paper a try? I'll definitely give it a try. Why wouldn't you? You know, um, a new thing on the market. Excellent. What are you give hoping for? I, you know, I've, I've even got a you know couple of friends working there. So from that point of view, I, I wish them all the best. Um, I, I, do, you know what, do you know what you hope for on a Saturday? That you read something that surprises you mm-hmm. from someone who you may not have heard of before. And if it's, if it's the same old voices that you get anywhere else, so, you, know, you know, hammering on the, old, the same old drums, you know, the same old issues, then you don't get that surprise. And, you know, then I've got better things to do with my Saturday morning, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. So that's, for me, that's, that's going to be the bar for it. And Amy, have you? Um, I mean, is this something that you're looking forward to? I'm going to stop asking. <laughs> you went this, there. Right? You almost yeah, look, went there. I mean, what's the? Dr- I want to know what the draw card is because you know this is going to be an expensive paper, more so than others. Uh, you know, it's not going to do, or it's not going to be in the breaking news area so much as other newspapers. I mean, what is the appeal? Is it is it the big names that are going to be there? Is it the David Mars and the Robert Manns and the Helen Razors? Yeah, I think it, it's the caliber of the stable. Obviously, you know, like you want to read those writers, and some of them are amazing. And um, it's it's quite incredible to see them all in one publication. So I'm excited about that. And it was com- compared to, to say Switzerland, Germany, where there's you know the news agents are full of newspapers, and we've only got a few. Yeah. What do you think is missing in in say an Australian weekend paper that we just don't have at the moment? Well, well, first I want to say I have not subscribed, <laughs> and man. this has only one reason. Yes, I live in the bush, and we don't have delivery. Oh. Well, that's a really it's a bummer it's Murray terrible should say yeah. that yeah <laughs> and uh, otherwise that? I would have because I really I really like my weekend papers what's missing um, I think I, I shared the views uh, here uh, that um, the, the weekend papers and in general actually the media in in the last few years have lost quality yes. and in-depth reporting quality and really re- doing their research yeah. and that's I hope for that. Mm. And and look, we are running out of time, but I wanted to ask Jacob because clearly he's you know a journalist at one of the big papers, print papers. Uh, how is this going to affect the AFR Weekend or the Herald? Is it you know is it? Do you think it's going to have a big impact? I, I I'm not sure it would have a direct impact on the on the Fin Review. Um, I think just reading from what I've seen of what the Saturday paper is, I think it's pitched at a different audience. Uh, but it, you know, could could have an effect on the Herald. Could, yeah, that is it. A Herald slash Age mm. audience is that what they're targeting? Really? Well, based on the names you've you, you know that we sort of know are on there, <laughs> they all come from those mastheads, half mm. of them. So uh, yeah, they will very much be appealing to that audience. Okay, uh, and just finally, uh, I was talking to a news agent the other day who said that the AFR was planning to ditch its weekend edition. Was he just gossiping, or is there something to that? 
Oh, that's yeah. That sounds like gossip, mate. <laughs> I, uh, and I, you know. You want to be able to read the Finn review on a Saturday. Mm, of course. <laughs> All right, well, look, you've been listening to Fourth Estate uh, with our panellists, Jacob Grieber, Paul Farrell, Amy Coops, and it was, was Vortelin. Uh, you can find this week's episode and all our others on our website, fourthestate.org.au. show is produced at 2SCR in Sydney and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Kyla Lissikian, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of 2SER's Fourth Estate. Fourth Estate is produced by 2SER 107.3 and can be heard live each Monday at 6.30pm on 2SER's 107.3, 2SER's digital, 2SER.com and around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Subscribe to Walkley Talks on iTunes and follow the Walkleys on Twitter and Facebook for new episode updates and to be the first to know about upcoming Walkley's news and events. <laughs>